Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me from the dark side of the moon is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. Hello from the moon. It's dark, it's cold, and I'm ready to come back to Earth. <laughs> While you're making your way back home, I've been watching a show on YouTube called Critical Role, R-O-L-E. Oh yeah, what's that show about? It, it's, a, it's on the Geek and Sundry channel. It's a bunch of voice actors. You know, they do animations and they do video games, and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it's so much fun to, to listen to. Because as they're doing it, they all have their voices, and they're all interacting with one another. It is really compelling. Now, the episodes are like three to four hours long. Oh, is that um, how long it takes to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons? I, I guess. That's crazy. I, I have personally have never played D&D. But these guys make me want to play D&D. It's a lot of fun to watch. So if you're into that kind of thing, check it out. It's called Critical Role. That reminds me of when we used to play Monopoly for hours. We used to have to take like a timeout and you know take a take a lunch break and come back and keep playing. In college, we used to cheat. Oh yeah, how'd you how'd you do that? Very carefully. <laughs> okay. So one thing I got to do today that was pretty cool. I got to spend some time in the Microsoft office. I went to the Let's Dev This Cloud Tour. That was actually pretty cool. You know, they went through the typical Azure stuff. You know, websites and web roles and you know that type of stuff. What I actually did for the first time today was I got to play with their machine learning offering. And that was really cool. That's generally not my specialty, but the maturity of the tools makes it so easily accessible to at least get started. You're definitely going to need to have some expertise to kind of figure out what algorithms you need to apply to your data to get the results that you want. But, you know, once you have that, that knowledge, I mean, the tools are very, very easy to use. So what you got going on, Richie? So over the past few weeks, we've been doing a promotion with Breno's R Limited for you, our listeners, where if you rate and review us on iTunes, you're going to receive access to their course, The Developer's Guide to SQL Server Performance. Now, we know, and I've been telling you this for a couple weeks now, it's a $300 value, and it's all yours free just by rating and reviewing us. But I'm here to tell you that this is the last week for it. I'm sorry, Cecil, this is the only limited time thing. And if you haven't gotten your uh, access to the Developer's Guide to SQL Server Performance, now's the time to act on it. So if you go to wayfromthekeyboard.com slash rate us, you'll get all the details and how you can get access to this course. But don't delay. You got to do it right now because if you don't, you're going to pass up on this great opportunity. And let me tell you what, I actually went and rated my own show just so I could get access to this course. Like the materials <laughs> that's in there, like I'm serious, man. Like the material that's in there, the quality that Brennan and his team do to produce really good information about how to work with SQL Server, it's just definitely worth it. Yeah, you know, SQL Server is more of an art than anything else. And so it, seeing the, the masters kind of work, uh, their, their trade is, is, is really a treat. Yep, yep. So who are we talking to today, Cecil? So today we're talking to our friend, Mr. Erez Tesler. Erez is an experienced developer specializing in Microsoft technologies. He's worked in a wide range of areas such as healthcare, consumer electronics, and e-commerce. He designed and built scaled-out web applications, multi-threaded desktop applications, and high-throughput backend servers. His latest venture is architecting solutions for JBS and working on the Tasmatic scheduler. After work, he enjoys spending time with his wife, his baby girl, and his ferocious pug. He also enjoys biking and kayaking. 
So I think we had a pretty good conversation with Eris, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to letting everybody hear it. Yeah. And now it's time. This episode was recorded on January 25th, 2016. And now our conversation with Eris Tesler. And now, away from the keyboards, feature conversation. college i had a uh, i think it was a jvc video camera and i would record all kinds of stuff and then i would make these funny little videos just out of nothing uh, just raw footage that i just took and <laughs> it would be uh pretty hilarious so so what what one what school did you go to i went to the great university of florida so you were drunk all the time uh, unless I was sleeping. Well, I guess I guess I would still be drunk when I woke up sometime. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you get credit for, for that. It is. And uh, that's actually probably why I finished in business with a business. Oh, oh, okay. So you're I was a business major too. Ain't no shame in that. So you're like a computer uh, information systems or something? Uh, no, it's just, I think it was just general business administration. Interesting. So, so how did you come to? Hey, I'm I'm going to go to business route. Uh, my GPA. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I barely squeezed in. So I I was actually the, the only two majors that would have accepted me were like history and oh god I can't remember the other one but it was like something you could not get a job in. <laughs> but then I like really pulled it together over the summer after my fourth year and got straight A's and pulled it right over a two. And so that's what you needed to get into the business school. And then I just finished with that. I mean, originally I wanted to do stuff with nanotechnology, but that wasn't even a thing at the school. Actually, I think the year after I left, they had a new building that started getting into like that kind of science. But I talked to my uh, my counselors and they said, to go, you could get into that, but you would have to go through like the aerospace engineering. And that's actually what my major was most of the time. <laughs> and the other thing was I was working on the side doing graphic design. And and then at that point, I started getting into doing websites. And, and that's when I started doing like real coding. And I found that that's what I liked. And so I started doing that and I, I was pretty much self-taught and I took a few programming classes on the side, but it wasn't, you know, up to date with what was out there, what was going on. And I felt that I could learn a lot more on my own. Now, there are there's a lot of good theory and, and kind of core stuff that you learn in these classes, but nothing really practical. So I never went down that route. I was actually almost about to uh, <laughs> to drop out and uh uh, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, convinced me to to finish through and my parents. So I went ahead and, and found a major and, and graduated. So right. the end of 2000 or 2001, when I got into .NET uh, with ASP.NET 1.1, and that's that's how I started. It was with VB, ASPX pages, doing SQL directly in the uh, in the script tags in the page. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it was I was doing work in a startup and we had to get things out quick. And that was really the easiest and fastest way to to get code out there. And uh, and it worked. It worked. Um, and we had a lot of users. We had 40,000 users on the site that I worked on. So you said you started, you know, doing some graphic design and also some development. Was it because that you're now doing business that you started doing that and you kind of needed to do some of that stuff for 
some of your course material, like really, really got you into doing design and development? I needed cash basically to, <laughs> to, to support, you know, having a nightlife and, and being able to do things I wanted to do. Um, so it was really just the necessity for a job that, so back in high school, I was on the computer a lot and I, like I had Photoshop at home and then I also had, uh, this application called uh, 3D Studio Max, um, which is a, a 3D design tool. And for a while, I just got into that in high school, just having fun learning, you know, going online, finding tutorials. And there was a lot of that stuff out there. Um, and it was just fun, like just making my own graphics and stuff and doing 3D design and then kind of integrating the two and doing post-production in, in, in Photoshop. And I don't know, it was kind of like a hobby of mine that I had in high school. And then that kind of, I guess, led me into that type of job at UF. So now you're, you're, you're doing design, you're building these websites, and now you, you start a startup in the middle of school? Like, how, does, how did that happen? So the startup was already there. It wasn't my startup. So the guy that I, I worked with doing the graphic design, um, it was his own startup, the graphic design company. And he pretty much had contracts with all the clubs and bars to do their flyers and he had a, a bunch of different organizations at UF to do their posters, flyers, you know, all kinds of stuff, logos, T-shirts. So he he pretty much was in that entrepreneur spirit, doing his own company, doing his own thing, and he was doing well. And he ended up partnering with another guy who had this this website that I ultimately started working on. And that website was called uh, Where to Party. And Where to Party is basically a site where you know students can go. And figure out what bars and clubs are are having, um, you know, their special nights like ladies' night or whatever, and pretty much figure out what they want to do that night. Whatever happened to that website? So things, you know, as college came to an end, you know, people split apart, and you know, things just didn't work out, and it kind of, you know, fell apart at that point. You know what I love about people building businesses inside of college is, it's like you're giving yourself your own internship, almost, right? Like you're getting experience and you're you're supporting forty thousand users. I don't know how many college students can say, "Hey, I had a website and I had forty thousand users and I had partnerships with clubs and we had a company and we're actually doing stuff." So, like, tell me what was the value of that experience that you got from doing that? Well, I mean, I got a lot out of it, both from the business side and from the technology side. So, from the business side, I mean, I could, I saw how it was to run a business. I mean, we had lots of things to coordinate. We had the business side, but we also had the employee side and then also maintaining relationships with, with club owners and, and bar owners and the promoters. So it was a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, interpersonal communication skills that I, I picked up there as well as administrative, administrative skills. Um, and on the technology side, that's kind of where I got into doing my coding. So that's where I picked up SQL, .NET, VB, and kind of started getting my mindset of, of what it is to, to build an application. And so now you've left college, right? The, we're moving on to other things. So did you leave college and think, hey, I'm going to start a new business now? I'm going to go do my own thing? Or what was your, what was your mindset now after graduating? I need money! <laughs> I've always had the entrepreneur spirit. Um, even my father, you know, when he came to this country from Israel, um, he had nothing and, and he worked his way up as a mechanic and ultimately had his own gas station, his own, his own, uh, dealership where he sold cars and, and, uh, and also a shop too. So I kind of got, I think I, I picked up, you know, my, maybe my entrepreneur spirit from him originally. You know, I wanted to do something on my own after college. 
the only problem was is that I couldn't be settled for a few years because um, my wife or my girl, she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, she went to grad school up north. And so I ended up following her and I knew she was only going to be there for a couple of years and then have to do a, uh, a postdoc. And that could also be for a year or two and then we'd have to be somewhere else. So I never really, um, you know, thought about starting a business at that point uh, just because I knew I was going to be moving around. So I know I was just looking for experience and, and just a job and kind of, you know, work my way into into the marketplace and kind of build um, build up my skills. So you can let me know if this is too too personal or not, but it sounds like you made a really early commitment to to being with your partner, to being with your wife, right? I know a lot of kids after college, they're like, okay, well, you're going that way, I'm going this way, you know, I'll see you on Skype kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, I think I knew that we had something good going on there and, you know, I didn't want to let that go. So I ended up just following her up north. We lived in, in Connecticut, separate apartments at that time. And then uh, we uh, we moved to Delaware to do her postdoc. We ended up getting married down here in Miami. We took a, a, a flight down here for a week. So left college, got married, moved on to Miami. So what do you do here? I have a business of my own. Um, the business is called Taskmatics. And uh, we create a task a task scheduler. And it's a, basically a software platform for developing scheduled tasks. And it has a lot of features on top of what you would think of a regular task scheduler, like, you know, Windows Task Scheduler or Cron. Um, and we can get into that. But uh, aside from that, um, I also do consulting work as well for, um, you know, for certain companies. And, and I do work on a whole range of different things like from websites to backend services to mobile, um, kind of the whole gamut there. So how much of what you've learned in inside of college and working on that previous startup do you take now into Tasmatics and, and kind of use that to grow from? I mean, I think I take a lot from there. Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing I think I take is the work ethic. And so we put in a lot of work and you kind of have to do that as a startup because you have limited resources and, and you have to work with what you've got and, and you have to kind of nurture the thing if you want to make it, you know, successful. So that's one of the biggest things, uh, that I've taken from that. So if I wanted to get Tasmatics, where exactly would that fit inside of my, my architecture of my solution? Okay. So. Uh, for a lot of websites or, you know, even businesses, they have a lot of, um, backend processing that needs to occur. And, you know, you don't want to do that code, especially if it's, if it's processor intensive, you know, memory intensive, IO intensive. You, you kind of want to farm that out to a backend server to do that work for you. And you want to either do it on a schedule basis or, you know, based on an event. So. Taskmatic scheduler allows you to, to do that, uh, with ease. Um, instead of kind of developing your own thing from scratch, you have a platform to build on. So we offer, um, this platform as a, as a service that you install on your own hardware. And what it gives you is a kind of a runtime to, to execute scheduled tasks. You develop your tasks in, in.NET using C sharp or another .NET language and you can, um, pull up the UI and upload your task and configure it right there. And you can have it 
run on a single machine or have it distributed based on, you know, your setup. You could also have, you know, your tasks be customizable through our UI where you specify, you know, parameters on your task and that gets bubbled up to the UI and you can have a DevOps guy kind of maintain your task for you and tweak the necessary parameters as they see fit. So it's kind of a tool for you to use in your development um, for doing kind of background processing. We've we've built this thing based on experience. So we've looked at you know what are the the tough things that we have to deal with with scheduled tasks and how we how can we make it better? How can we make our lives easier so we're not spending a lot of time messing around looking for files, trying to find configuration, trying to find the logs. Um, <clears throat> how do we update a task from one version to the next? You know, take all these things into account and figure out how to make it easy for the developer, you know, to do these sets of tasks. So what was the genesis of the, the, the product? Um, was it some pain that, that you had felt? You know, how, how, did, how did this project get started? So it's, it's actually grown over time. Um, we were one of those companies that had, you know, scheduled tasks, created as executables that would run in task scheduler um, or, you know, SQL scripts that ran in SQL agent. And you just had these things all over the place. And, you know, we did work for several companies. So we had mixed, mixed files between different clients, logging happening in different places, and it was just a real headache for us to deal with. So we ended up creating a, uh, a platform to, to, base these tasks on to make it a little bit easier. And this wasn't what we have uh, currently. This was a system that was based on task scheduler and kind of and SQL server and made it a little bit easier to deal with. Um, there were still downsides to it. Um, we had issues with like updating files. So there's still uh, some downsides with this, and one of the biggest ones was updating files. We would have to take down the whole system, and no, pretty much no task could run while we were doing maintenance on the system. And we'd basically update our files and then start start the thing up again. And at that point, you know, all the new files would be there, but during that downtime, the system would be unusable. So from there, um, we knew that. We had something that was valuable, but it wasn't the best that we can have it. And we never, at this time, we never focused on, you know, making something of quality. It was just something, again, that was slapped together that would do the job. And that's typically how things work, right? You just, you get the job done and it works and it's good. But as things, as requirements change, as things grow, you need to, you know, look at the, look at the system again and see what you can do, whether it's, you know, fix it up or, or write something new. And so what, that's what we did. We wrote something new. And so we took all of our requirements, we boiled them down, and we built something new, and that became Taskmatic Scheduler. So what are some of the major pieces that you use to develop this application? Uh, so we use a whole variety of technologies. We're, we're built on top. Windows services. We use WCF for communication. We use HTTP listener um, to host our UI because we don't want to be based on IIS and have another thing that the end user has to install and maintain. We had to use um, an installer technology and we decided to use Wix, which I think Visual Studio uses and Office. And One of the 
things that you guys actually do is run on ASP.NET. And more recently, you're running on ASP.NET Phoenix, right? So what is it like to be building a product now or moving your product over to this new open source web framework? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a big benefit to us because we can use all the, the goodness from ASP.NET. And actually, right now, we're not using ASP, ASP.NET. We're using just the HTTP listener class, which at that point, you're dealing with um, basically a, a context, a request, and response, and then you have to do everything yourself. Um, so we actually had, we built our own kind of mini web server on top of that. Now with uh, ASP.NET Core, there is this, um, this pipeline that you can plug into, which makes it pretty easy to, to do um, web development. And there's other things built into the system like uh, WebSockets, identity, and all of those things that we would have to build up from scratch, we can use now. We can leverage that now. Some of the downsides have been, you know, this thing has been a moving target. There have been breaking changes along the way. We got in pretty early. Uh, we got in around beta three or four. And at this point, it's RC. So it's kind of settled, although they are, they are making a pretty big change between RC and RC2. Um, which is the host that hosts the um, the uh, you know your process kind of thing um, is is changing. So some things are going to have to change between um, RC one and RC two, but hopefully not nothing as critical as some of the other stuff we've seen. One thing I'm wondering is with this again talking about it being a moving target, how does that affect your deliverables and your your business timelines? Yeah, so it definitely affects it. Um, we try to push out uh, updates every quarter. In this case, it's it's taken us a couple quarters to to uh, to get this done, and it's just the nature of the beast. Um, we decided to move onto this new platform, so we just have to uh, we'll have to go with the flow. So one thing that I also found was pretty interesting was you actually submitted a pull request to the ASP.NET um, hosting repository, and it got accepted. It looks like it's going to be an RC too. Could you tell us a little bit about what that pull request was about and what was your um, experience working with and submitting? Uh, a pull request to that project? Yeah, so the request, uh, the pull request was uh, code that lets you host um, ASP.NET as a Windows service or inside of a Windows service. And so that's exactly our situation, right? We, we are running inside of a Windows service and we want to host ASP.NET. So how do you do that? You couldn't do that in the past um, unless you pretty much wrote a ton of super fragile code, which I tried to do. And I don't think many people have, have accomplished that. But in any case, so it's a lot easier to do it now. And so the way I found that out was just basically by browsing the source. And so ASP.NET, all of their source code is now on GitHub. And it's awesome because <laughs> you can get on there and you can see exactly what the code does. So you can debug their code very, very easily. And that's helped us quite a bit. So... I browsed the source. I figured out how the hosting works and how kind of the the whole uh, runtime worked. And based on that, I said, hey, this should be able to run in a Windows service. And so I played around with it over the weekend and got it working. And, you know, we had it working and, and there was a few months went by and I decided to um, do a blog post about it. So we did a blog post about it and we got a lot of people that had interest in it. And a lot of people were reading the site and asking questions and, um, you know, cloning that code from that, from a blog post. So 
a lot of people would like to do this. They'd like to host, you know, a UI from a, from a service. So, um, I decided to do a talk and so I did a talk in .NET Miami about this particular topic. And after that talk, um, I thought to myself, why can't I make it a little bit easier for the user to do this instead of doing everything that I showed, which is, you know, maybe like 20 lines of code and a bunch of configuration. So I came up with a way to do it with um, zero code, just with a little bit of configuration, basically one line of code or of configuration. And I ended up submitting that and they liked that. Um, but like I said, they're changing a big, they're making a big change between RC one and RC two. So that code had to change and I actually made that change. And so now Instead of doing it through configuration, you actually have to do it through code, but it's only three lines instead of like 20 or so lines. So the code that allows you to do that three-liner is, is now accepted by Microsoft and it's part of their, part of their code base now. So uh, I'm pretty excited. That's, that's actually my first uh, contribution to, to open source uh, at all. <laughs> Nice, nice. And so did you have to sign any type of contracts or any agreements or anything like that? Yeah, they had um, pretty much in the beginning when you create your first pull request, um, there's a bot that sends you a, a link to an online document that you have to sign and you have to give your name and address. And I'm not sure really what I signed, but. <laughs> All your code now belongs to Microsoft. Yes, yes. So what was it like working with the team? Like, Was there any type of back and forth? Was it, hey, I just submitted it and it kind of just, they just took it? Like, what was the review process like? And, and did you learn anything from that for your own, um, for your own processes? So there was quite a bit of back and forth. And to tell you the truth, there was actually two pull requests. So the original pull request I did, um, had a different kind of, um, a different approach. And, they didn't really like that approach and I kind of worked on it a little bit and I guess at that point it came to me how to do it only in configuration. So I ended up closing that pull request and so that was after a little bit of back and forth, opened a new one with this new kind of approach and even there we still did, you know, quite a bit of back and forth. I think I can't remember exactly, but it was probably like a few weeks at least of, of back and forth with different people on the team, uh, like David Fowler, Damien Edwards, like they posted and a couple other guys that, that kind of maintain the code for the hosting repo, uh, went back and forth with me. Um, over time, after you get the initial concept done, then they'll go and do their kind of styling guide changes and they'll ask about certain things and ask you to tweak those things. And then um, it was kind of around the time where documentation was coming into play. So they had me do the XML comments for their for their documentation. So I had to do that. And once I did that, um, at that point, they accepted the uh, the pull request. I, I like the things that I learned. I mean, I, I've never done a pull request before. So learning how to work with, you know, an owner of a repo you know, the different things that you have to do to the code. Like they wanted me to actually squash the code into a single commit because they didn't want to have all that back and forth noise uh, show up in their repo. So um, learning how to deal with with squashing and rebasing, um, which is something I haven't done before. Um, so I learned how to do that. 
I think it's important for companies today to to not only consume open source, but to actually contribute to it, particularly with the pieces that we're actually using. So I definitely commend you for that because I think that's a, a route that a lot more of us should take. You know, <laughs> Thanks. Do you do you do you use any other open source uh, tools? And then now that you have this uh, this first commit, do you think that you might do some more commits um, in the future, maybe? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, for open source stuff that I use, if I do see um, something that could benefit others, and I'm going to go ahead and do it myself. I mean, why not? <laughs> It'd be kind of selfish to not not do that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. So. Uh, yeah, I, I do use quite a bit of, of open source. Um, I do a lot of stuff on the uh, the JavaScript side, and and this new UI is going to have uh, it's going to be done in HTML JavaScript, and so we're going to be using um, uh, we're using Gulp to do the build. We're doing we're using Babel to do the transpiling of the JavaScript from a future version to a browser compatible version. Um, we're going to be using the Aurelia framework. For our, our UI. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's quite a, a bunch of other, you know, plugins that we're going to be using. You know, we use Bootstrap for our UI. Um, uh, yeah, there's just, there's a lot. I mean, I can go ahead and probably list things off for the next five minutes. Sure. Because there's sure. so many different JavaScript frameworks that you kind of, you kind of just use as utilities. But, uh, right. Yeah, that's a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different podcast. So, Eris, it sounds like, so we talked about, you know, we talked about you being a gator. You know, we talked about Tasmatics and your startup. and But you're a father now and you have this little baby at home, right? How do you manage to do all this stuff and, and have time to spend time with your family and be productive as a developer? So I've had to use my time a lot more effectively. Like little gaps in time where I'd be just sitting around doing nothing. That's kind of when I would jump in and... and do certain things depending on what I need to get done. But then I do focus a lot more time on, on family. So, um, you know, with a baby, especially less than a year old, you have to, you have to spend, you know, the time. Um, I got to help my wife out. You know, she's with the baby for, for most of the day. So pretty much, you know, at five, I, I, I try to do this at five every day. I cut off and, and, uh, you know, help her out. And then when the baby gets, goes back down, you know, then I can do some other things if I need to. Um, and then even, even the time on the weekend, it, it has, uh, it has shortened for, for doing, you know, coding stuff and whatever, because that's, that's more time I get to hang out with, uh, with my wife and the baby. And so when you're home and you're with your family and you guys are hanging out, what are some of the things that you do to kind of, you know, kind of just connect with your family and, and disconnect from the technology a little bit? Uh, so we go out a lot. We walk um, to the park. We have a nice park on the uh, on the canal here, a couple actually. Um, so we like to hang out there. I used to do a lot more uh, like kayaking and biking, which actually have kind of slowed down to like nothing at this point. <laughs> But as soon as as soon as uh, the baby is old enough to do that, I'm I'm getting a bike seat for her and getting her out on the water when I can. And I also see you're a kayaker too, right? So do you you say you don't kayak as much as you used to, or do you still try to get? Yeah, up? not not as much. I do I do have a kayak and I have a paddleboard too, which needs to get more use. Um, they're kind of sitting on this rack right now <laughs> outside. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I did I did do a lot more. Um, 
and I one other thing is I got a new car, and so this car does not have a roof rack, which I need to get. Because right now I'm pretty much stuck not being able to get the stuff out to the water. Although um, I did build myself a a trailer that I can tow on my bike for the kayak, and so I use that a couple times. I have a nice picture of uh, of me on this pink bike towing this big, <laughs> yeah, with a with a pug on the back in the, in the life vest. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you said you made a a trailer too, right? Like, how do you tell us about that? Yeah, so we have we have this park that's out on the on the canal, and they ended up putting in a a boat ramp or a kayak ramp. It's it's not really a boat ramp because it's smaller, um, so you could easily get your your um, your kayak down to the water. And it's so close to my house, it's not worth putting it on the car. So I try to figure a way to to get it out there. So I did some searching online, and there's lots of racks that you can get, but not really a way to tow it on a bike. So I actually had to make a, a hitch and a trailer. And I, I just spent some time designing this out. And I, I also use, this is how anal I am, I also use AutoCAD and, and have used it in high school. Um, we, I took a, a drafting course, and I pretty much did the whole course in about a week. <laughs> Yeah, because I knew how to use the tools. Um, it, it wasn't like I had to learn it. Um, but anyways, I I, I drafted out this this uh, trailer, and uh, I ended up building it out of PVC. So that's a custom design built of PVC. I just went to Ace and got PVC cut and got some PVC glue and uh, a couple wheels and a rod for an axle, and I uh, just slapped it all together. And... Uh, yeah, that that's what I use now. And so for the hitch, the hitch is actually super simple. It's a uh, it's a PVC pipe with a hole drilled through it at an angle, right? And so what I do is take out the bike seat, which goes into the frame at an angle, and I slide that through the hole in the PVC pipe. And so the PVC pipe sticks out about two to three feet, well, about two feet out the back, you know, past the tire. And I have like an eye hook that holds a um, um, one of those adjustable like key rings, and then I basically latch the um, the the handle onto that from the kayak. And so that's that's how I tow uh, I tow my kayak to the water. It sounds like a story from MacGyver or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was my first uh, kind of project. And then I start. I got into woodworking after that, which is a whole other thing. And so you you do woodworking, like now, is or, or is this something you said that you learned when? Like how 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 long have you been doing woodworking? Um, I probably a year, year and a half now. Really? Um, yeah, my first project was a TV stand. I could, uh-huh. I just could not find a TV stand online. I mean, there's a million different designs out there, but nothing like how I want it exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like with code, right? There's a bunch of tools out there, and you know, if you can't find it, you build it yourself. Right. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now with uh, with furniture. So I built a TV stand. I built some cabinets and drawers. I built a new bathroom vanity. I built a kayak rack and a workbench outside. Uh, all kinds of stuff. A mailbox, beer opener. Whoa, 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 whoa. You built a beer opener? 
Yep, I carved a uh, a beer opener, and I um, okay. I I embedded a, a neodymium magnet in it, so when you pop open the cap, it stays stuck to the uh, to the wood. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I like that. I like that. Yeah, so- it's fun. Like once once you realize that you can build whatever you want, just, just like software, you know, you, you you learn that you can build whatever you want. It just it takes over. And so my next thing is is uh, getting into hardware too, and then trying to integrate that with the woodworking and you know get, putting it all together. I just like building stuff, you know. So what's the hardest part of of woodworking? So you can you can end up buying lots of tools, um, but then for some tools they're they're kind of expensive or you might not have the space, so you end up having to do things a different way, just having to do use different tools. So. Um, if you don't have the tools that make it super simple, you could be working for quite some time to try to get something to shape. That's kind of, at, at least when you're starting, that's kind of what you're having to deal with because you have a limited set of tools and you have to figure out how to do something where if you had the right tool, you would do it with precision and do it fast. So a couple of years from now, we're going to come and you can have a little wood robot running around with some <laughs> Arduinos in it and I'll, you know, I'll have a whole running .net. Shop <laughs> <laughs> nice, 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 nice. We'd like to thank Eris for being a guest on the show. It was definitely great to have him on and have a chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. And also remember to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at podcast. You could follow me at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. And don't forget to rate us at awayfromthekeyboard.com slash rate us to get your free Brent Ozar Unlimited training course. Next week on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have database guru and entrepreneur Juan Soto. Three weeks later, I walked out on Friday. On Monday, I came back in as a consultant making three times as much as what I used to make. Okay, now get out of here. Yeah. Well, maybe you could stay for just a little bit longer. All right, you got 10 seconds, dude. Bye. See ya. to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name's Richie Rump, and joining me... Damn it. <laughs> you forgot my name already, dude? <laughs> no. I started reading and joining me blank. <laughs> Can't believe it. Joining me is my co-host... 32 bloody episodes in it. You don't remember my damn name. <laughs> All right, one more time. <laughs> That's all, folks. See you later. Hey, man, it was it was right there in the script, and the script said, and joining me, blank. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I just read the script here. I, I don't I don't even know. Someone actually asked me. It's like, well, what's that, what's that tagline you say in front of every episode? And I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. know. I just I read it from the script. That's all. <laughs> all right. 